Well, I'm back to the Utility Man podcast after a while, but we're still going to have a lot of fun this episode. We're going to talk about some of the sports leagues that have been going on this season and basically just what's happened so far. I'm going to talk about my time at the Daytona 500 in uh, late February and how much of just a great time that is and why I would recommend it to anyone. And... Then we'll look toward the future just a little bit here on the six months late episode of the Utility Man podcast. So, it's been a while. Uh, First and foremost, welcome back to the Utility Man podcast. My name is Bryce Zatchi, your wonderful host who disappeared for five and a half months. I'm not even going to try to make excuses, although there certainly are reasons. I, it's not like I stopped watching sports. That's straight up impossible. And I just didn't record for five months. In fact, that's not true. I had a little bit recorded in like the end of April and just never posted it. And now it's too outdated to post anyway. Um, so I am back now, hopefully back to a normal schedule. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of this show here in a, uh, a couple of days. So that'll be an episode. MLB trade deadline, which was the main focus of my first episode, that will be an episode for sure. I'll talk about some of the future events in, uh, but probably baseball and NASCAR, which is what this I'll probably end up focusing on more. The NBA has lost my interest really, really much. Hockey, also, I guess I'll talk about hockey for sure as a salty Penguins fan that believes that I could have beat the the Rangers in the first round without a hurt superstar and third-string goalie. But, uh, let's start off with baseball. So, I was was unsure going into the season if they were even going to play due to the labor dispute between the owners and the players. But alas, they did, and I'm quite happy because... It's been a very interesting season so far. The, Of course, as a Cleveland Guardians fan myself, it's been a quite great year as the team has been unexpectedly better than most people thought, mostly based off young talent and Jose Ramirez having a MVP season that absolutely nobody will notice. Um, it also helps that the AL Central pretty much fell apart other than the Guardians and the Twins. Tony LaRusso's White Sox are struggling. Just, I, I believe just a game above 500 when most people expect them to win 95-plus and the division. Um, the Yankees are running away with the AL East, which is arguably stacked than ever. I'm really not sure. I mean, Aaron Judge has 38 home runs as of this recording. I 
he's it's hard to it's hard to believe that he won't win MVP, even with Otani and Ramirez, and everyone else. It's hard to believe Judge won't win MVP, with thirty eight homers a couple games after the All Star break. He's on pace for sixty some. I'll tell you that. Will he get it? That remains to be seen. What else? Um, the Angels are the top heaviest lineup of all time. With Trout and Otani. Mostly healthy. Trout's been out a little. But I, I just can't believe that Otani is as good as he is. And they cannot do anything. Which, if I'm... If I'm the Angels, I'd trade him because he's not going to re-sign back with you after next season. And with a season and a half, if you trade him at the deadline, left on his deal to be the best player in baseball, pitching and hitting, there's no reason why you shouldn't look into deals for Otani. Same thing for Juan Soto. Soto has, I believe if you trade him at the deadline, two and a half more years until he's a free agent. He just has some probably big contract arbitration years. But there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to get a massive package in for the next Barry Bonds and Juan Soto when clearly he will not re-sign with you. That's the whole purpose of trading. And if you trade him at the deadline, teams like who I believe are the front-runners, like the Dodgers, the Padres, the Mariners, can look at it and say, well, we have this postseason and two more to try to make a run with this guy. And I think there's, there's no better reason to trade Soto. Um, as a Pittsburgher, the Pirates are still bad, although a little better. The future seems to be brighter than it was a couple years ago, but if they go out next year and lose 100 games again, then they'll just be back to the first year of a four-year plan, and it'll be the same spiel again. The Reds are going to trade everybody at the trade deadline. Castillo, Luis Castillo, Tyler Maley, I would say Sonny Gray, I think he's already been traded. Um, they traded Winker and Suarez to Seattle in the offseason. I'll get to Seattle later. Um, it's going to be an interesting trade deadline if teams can, or, go, or not can, or, or if they're going to trade some big names. It's all, it all depends on what, the, on what the organizations get back for them because these players are so massive, they're going to have to get a... Just huge haul in return. I, the Cardinals have three of the best players in baseball based on war and are not even in first place. Arguably, they might need Soda more than anybody. Well, actually, that's not true. They have Goldschmidt, Arenado, Tommy Edmond, but no pitching. They don't need any pitching. But if you look in the same division, that's what the Brewers have. Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta... Zach Davies, Adrian Hauser, Brandon Woodruff, just absolute dogs in the rotation. And the Cardinals have a 67-year-old Adam Wainwright. 
The Dodgers are what many people thought was a literal all-star team before the season. For the most part, that's been true. But the Padres have made it closer than last year. The Padres have definitely looked better. Much of that can be traced back to some of the role players playing better. I mean, Tatis hasn't played all season. Manny Machado looks like an MVP candidate. And they're pitching, led, led by, uh, not led by, but it's definitely helped from last year by the, uh, the resurgence of Mackenzie Gore, one of their top prospects for a couple of years now. He's looked fantastic. Uh, who else? Oh, the Mets and the Braves in the East. I definitely remember talking about this with Brett last year, of the close race in the East. I think the Phillies were even in the conversation for a while last year. But the Phillies are just, without Bryce Harper, they are down to the classless mediocrity that is Philadelphia sports. I think the Braves probably end up winning the division, but we talk about the trade deadline. The Mets are getting the best trade deadline addition of any team in Jacob deGrom. They have a stupid good rotation if when deGrom gets back, on paper, of course. Scherzer and Bassett and deGrom. That's pretty ridiculous. I would not want to play them in a best-of-five NLDS. Um, I, w- I was going to circle back to the Guardians real quick, but, yeah, there's really no use. I guess I could give, I'll, I'll give predictions for MLB real quick because I never gave them before the season. Obviously, it's hard now, but um, I'll touch on just a couple that I want to talk about. First of them is, well, MVP, of course. Um... I probably got Judge in the AL just because he plays in New York. He's probably going to hit 50-plus homers. It's hard to see that combination and not think the guy's going to win the MVP. NL, I'm probably going to go with Goldschmidt. The dude's been tearing the cover off the ball. If not Goldschmidt, there's Machado. I don't know. It should be interesting. It's more interesting in the NL, I feel like, than it is with the uh, AL. Now, Cy Young. People are talking about McClanahan in the AL. I'm gonna be honest. I don't even. I don't actually know that much about McClanahan. I don't know his numbers. The guards go play Tampa next week, so there's a chance, a very high chance, in fact, you see McClanahan pitch in that game. But I don't know of too much like his numbers. If I had to guess, I'd say Cole, probably a contender. But my under-the-radar candidate that I've seen most of the year as a Cleveland fan is Dylan Cease from the White Sox. Now hear me out. You could be saying, well, Bryce, this guy had an ERA of 5 two years ago. That is true. Yes, he did. But Dylan Cease now has figured out how to make his slider the best pitch, not, not even arguably, the, but literally the best pitch in baseball. The dude has like a under 
200 batting average against the slider and the most strikeouts on a single pitch in baseball on the slider. I think I, I think his stuff is just so good. He played he pitched against Cleveland last week. He didn't even have his best stuff and still threw six shutout innings. That's pretty crazy. And he didn't even make the all-star team. That's why I don't like how fans can choose so much for the all-star team. Because, well, actually, I don't know. I can't make that excuse for pitchers. But, um, yeah, I guess I guess baseball does kind of choose the pitchers or the players do. So I, I can't really make that excuse. But I think Cease is could make that real interesting with a couple of really good starts. Um, I think the rookie of the year, this is when I want to talk about the Mariners. Julio Rodriguez looks like a superstar. And I am all for it. I hope to be going to Cleveland in September to watch Julio. And he looks amazing. I really hope that he can blossom into the superstar the Mariners need because they desperately need someone like Julio to help them get back to the playoffs. They have not been to the playoffs since 2001, I think. I think I think that's it, yeah. Because they lost the Yankees. All right. I... I think the other part of the other interesting part about the Mariners team is they they got a, they made some big offseason acquisitions that I feel like not enough people are talking about. They got the Cy Young winner, Robbie Ray, and they traded for Jesse Winker and Heyuenio Suarez, two big power bats from Cincinnati. They also have Ty France, all-star first baseman, JP Crawford, great shortstop. And there's always Jared Kelnick, if you can figure out what's going on with him, he's looked not good since coming up to the majors, but I think Jared Kelnick is an interesting piece because he could easily be flipped to Washington for Soto, but I think he also could just be kept and try to be developed. All right, now to NASCAR. So NASCAR this season, it's been a uh, a chaotic season for sure. I think um, the new car is definitely the main storyline. The car is um, racing really well from uh, from my perspective. I think it's gone quite well. The um, the short tracks I think are something that needs to be figured out. Martinsville and Phoenix were, in my opinion, the two worst races of the season. And um, it's, it's basically done the, the opposite effect of the old car. The old car would race really poorly at the mile-and-a-half size tracks, but I think the two best races this season have probably been the, the Coca-Cola 600 and the Fontana race in the spring, or maybe one of those. I, I don't know. I, I, think it's, um, I think the tracks that were good... The road courses as well. Road courses were good racing with the old car, but I've, at least in my opinion, I don't think the races at short at short tracks and road courses with 
the new car have been that entertaining. Um, Driver-wise, I think it, if you look at the standings right now, Chase Elliott has four wins, but he really only earned two of them. One of them was at Dover, where Kyle Busch dominated and had a problem. And then one was at Pocono this past weekend, where for the first time in over 60 years, the top two finishers got disqualified. And Chase Elliott, finishing third, won the race. I mean, some of the stuff NASCAR will do to get this guy to win, you can't. You can't make it up. But I think the um, the, the biggest storyline this year has been the, uh, the 14 different winners. I think as, as some of you know, NASCAR has a playoff system where the 16 best drivers can get into the playoffs. Well, right now, 14 of them have wins. And the common mantra is win and you're in. Well, you might have to win twice to get in because if you go to a place like the I think the I think the remaining races are Indianapolis Road Course, Michigan, Richmond, Watkins Glen, and Daytona. So you could easily see Well hold on, I'll I'll let's I'll try to predict who's gonna win where. I think for outside of the cut line, I think Eric Jones could easily get one. At Daytona, maybe. Um, I think Kevin Harvick, who is outside the cut line, I think Kevin Harvick's going to win at Michigan. I think Bubba Wallace is going to win somewhere. He's run so well this year, but has had awful, awful pit crew at some points. But I think Bubba has run well for the most part. He, I think he wins Daytona. That's probably the most likely source, but you never know. I think I think that might then that gets you to sixteen, which is already historic on its own. That puts Ryan Blaney, who's second in points, out of the playoffs, which is probably I mean even the road course where Michael McDowell could go win at Indy. I mean I don't know it's 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 wild right now. I think it's really it's really sweet that NASCAR has the setup, uh, the playoff setup this way. I was uh, gladly surprised with uh, this season. Certainly, it's in no way to predict the uh, the playoffs so far. I think it's the um, the playoffs in NASCAR are just too wild. Champions get knocked out, or like past champions can go out in the first round this year, and I would not be surprised to see that. I think it's definitely in the realm of possibilities for sure, but. I'm going to talk about the Daytona 500 real quick and just recap that race from memory real quick if anyone is not was not familiar with what happened there. I think so I was at the race. It was my first ever time seeing NASCAR in person. It was an amazing time. I woke up at six o'clock to get to the track. As soon as the gates opened to go hang out in the infield, see all the car, all the cars get rolled out, just uh, see some drivers do some press stuff, and it was just the the environment around the around the race was something I'd never really experienced before, and I've been to 
probably 10 NHL, like, I don't know, Stanley Cup final games. I'll search for their word. I've been to probably close to 50 NHL playoff games. But the atmosphere around that Daytona 500 is something completely new to me. And the, the idea of the, it being the racing Super Bowl and the biggest race in the world, but also having it be the start of the season is something that is just pure genius on NASCAR's part because people are excited for two different things. I thought the, um, just the, the flyover and the Goodyear blimp and all that stuff was just so cool. I've never, I've always, all the stuff I've only ever seen on TV, but when you're in the crowd and as you're ready to start the race, everyone is so excited and it's just, it's so special. And now, when those cars come by you for the last time, ready to go out and start the race, it is just the most, it, you have the most anticipation you'll ever have because you know that the, the last time those cars come by you, it's going to be completely different and so much more important. And that a lot of the cars that start the race aren't going to be there when, it, when they come back around for the last time. So when they came by us for the first time, they were loud, really loud. I knew they were going to be loud, but they were really loud. You had to wear headphones, of course. I don't, there were some absolute just psychos in the crowd with us who didn't have headphones on. I don't know how you did that. That's crazy to me. Your ears would have been shot by lap 50. Speaking of lap 50... That's around when the first big wreck happened, and I have kind of a funny story about that. I don't know if it's funny, but it's definitely a story. So the wreck happened on the back straightaway with uh, Brad Keselowski and Harrison Burton starting the whole thing, and the cars would go out of view for a little bit where I was sitting, just on the exit of turn four, but toward the toward the the uh, the, the beginning of the trial on the front straightaway. So they would go out of view a little bit on the backstretch, but next thing I know, when they came out of view, I see Harrison Burton's car flipping up in the air. I'm like, oh, no, some, something happened there. That <laughs> was pretty funny. I, I don't know. Of course, the um, 10, 15 cars piled in, but it was funny just to see, oh, I was like, just, oh, man, another lap around, we'll watch them race, and then, oh, nope, there's a car up in the air. Like... <laughs> I don't know, I thought it was funny. Uh, later in the race, there was um, a lot of wrecks toward the middle toward the middle of the trioval, including one with Harvick and Larson, one with Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who was really competitive in that race. I think um, there were, I remember Kyle Busch sneaking by all those wrecks by just an inch every time was crazy to me. But... The, it looks like Ryan Blaney had the car to beat, and um, his Penske teammate, Austin Sindrick, was up there with him. And um, Keselowski was up there as well, Denny Hamlin, Chase Briscoe, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch. But uh, it came down to the last restart, overtime restart. Sindrick, uh, I believe, took the lead on the bottom. And then as they came down off turn four for the last time, Blaney had a big run coming up beside him, 
and Cindric was a little late to block it, and he came up to Blaney and just hit him in the fence. And Blaney started uh, started wrecking behind, but then Cindric came to the line and beat Bubba Wallace, another contender, by about two feet. Who Cindric must then move on Blaney to save the race for him. If he didn't block Blaney, Blaney wins. And it was a great, it was a, I, don't, I wouldn't say it was a great move by Cindric, but it wasn't a dirty move for sure. And uh, I think he put, he put Blaney in the, he put his tone teammate in the fence to win the Daytona 500. So that just tells you what those drivers are willing to do for this race. I think that's what makes it one of the most exciting sporting events I've ever watched on TV or in person. I think, um, but it hurts to see Bubba Wallace in the Michael Michael Jordan's car come up second for the second time in his career, but certainly a good showing for him. Uh, it was, uh, but it was a great race, and I just we I remember we talked about it the entire ride home uh, from the from the racetrack. Just incredible. Incredible race, incredible experience, and I hope to go to more NASCAR races soon. I think that was the first of many, for sure. All right, that's probably going to do it for me this week, but not to worry. I won't take another six months off after this one. I'll be back probably in a couple of days to talk about probably something baseball, I'll, I'll be back for the trade deadline, but I think I, I want to make one more before the trade deadline just to make it up to you guys because I feel bad for not doing anything for like five months. So trade deadline for sure, and I'll find another baseball topic to talk about. I'm thinking I might do like a team of the most overrated players of all time. That, that might be what I do. But... Well, I'll be back. Meanwhile, like, comment, share. Share the show. And uh, I'll see you on the next one.